Welcome to Why Make, where we talk with makers from different disciplines about what inspires them to make, with your hosts, Rob Helmkamp and Aaron Volkin. On this episode of Why Make, we are talking with the longtime furniture maker from Black Mountain, North Carolina, David Scott. Uh, I don't know David personally, but he was one of the very first graduates out of the program in fine woodworking at Haywood Community College, a place Rob and I have both spent plenty of time. Yep, David was uh, one of the earliest classes to finish, and currently he's a member of uh, Aerial Gallery in downtown Asheville, and um, is also a member of the Southern Highland Craft Guild. So we're going to talk with David about working out and refining his designs and making furniture for 40 years. He's been a career furniture maker. Yeah, we're going to see what uh, what kind of uh, what it takes to be inspired for a 40-year career building furniture. So here's our conversation with David Scott. We're here with David Scott on Why Make at his studio in, in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And we usually start off, David, with a kind of a just a little a nugget question like, yeah. When was the first time you were inspired to, to do woodworking? Ooh, wow. That's, that's a good one. Um, uh, so my parents were teachers, and my dad was a college teacher. Um, okay, and this but, is where? In, uh, this like, is uh, in South Carolina. I grew up okay. in Rock Hill, which is right, oh, yeah, right yeah. below Charlotte. Okay. And uh, my dad taught at Winthrop. And, but my, he always made stuff. Mm-hmm. He was... He was fairly handy and he made shelving and um hi-fi stereo cases so you're always around stuff. so he i was kind of a, i remember being around wood and yeah. the idea of building stuff you know from a pretty young age mm-hmm. he was pretty intrepid about building things that's a good word yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he would see something and, and go try to do it yeah uh, it was crude but i'm not gonna pay 20 dollars for that i'm gonna build it <laughs> right. <laughs> right um let's see but <clears throat> I'll just keep going. So that that was that was early. That was when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and um, so, so it was in your head. That's it was kind of in my head, um, and I never thought about woodworking very much until I got into college, and um, I ended up at Goddard College in Vermont. In, oh, okay. That uh, was like hippy dippy you. It was. It was. <laughs> I, no, I, I, it, it had a reputation for sure. Uh, no grades, right? I was the only student from South Carolina, I think, probably. So but, you were the redneck from the uh, South? Sort of. There were a couple of other Southerners, but, uh, and my interest at that time was counseling and especially okay. um, um, hotline and emergency uh, suicide prevention counseling. Okay. And, and so one, um, Part of the program there is you did on-site or you did work away from campus. Oh, and so okay. I worked in Boston one semester, and then I worked in Atlanta another semester, mm-hmm. at a, both um, at hot, you know, suicide prevention hotlines. Okay. <clears throat> and that was really great work, um, but it's hard work, and it takes a real toll, and it's hard yeah. to see what you've done. And so the last semester I was in school in Vermont, there was a woodworking course offered, and, and I thought, well, I might just do this. I'll try it. <laughs> so I did, and I loved it. I was just smitten, you know, just head over heels. Um, and I think it was because the whole idea of the tangible thing, mm-hmm. look what I made. Uh, at the end of the day, I worked, you know, I did work, and then I had this to show for it. Yeah. And that was such a contrast to the human services f- field. Um, so I was, I was really taken with woodworking. And in fact, the, one of the first things I ever made, I meant to dig it up, but oh, you've got it's, it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. it's, it's a, a mallet, okay. you know, uh, two pieces, a little wooden hammer yeah. to tap a chisel with. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think I've never felt so much pride and satisfaction as when I made that. I was just, that was actually my very first piece of I was on my back porch in West Virginia. I took two pieces of firewood, yeah, made a head out of one, and shaved the other one That's into great. a handle, That's and that was cool. my first. That was the first thing I ever made. Yeah, well, mine yeah. were completely different. They were skateboard ramps, but it's still <laughs> the satisfaction of building something you can use. Yeah, it's like it's amazing. It's miraculous, and I and I do. Yeah. I still think it's it's kind of magical to come up. You, yeah. There's something in your in your head. You know, you visualize it, you think it through, and sometime later, it's it's an actual object, a three dimensional object. And I love that about what we do. Uh, I, I just 
I love that. And I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about that, and I like to communicate that with people. Um, but I, I recently had a thought about that, and, and that is, I have to say, I sort of self-righteously thought that only artists could do that. And then I had, I thought just this within week, your Within your definition well, of artist. With, with like, my my, well, the, with the idea that you, you visualize something you, that's abstract, it's, yeah, it's only a, a mental construct, yeah. and you turn it into a, a, a real thing, mm -hmm. a real object. And th then I, I thought recently, you know, but everybody, like, if you're thinking, I, we want to go to the beach one weekend in September, and we want to do this and we want to do that. Well, that's the same thing in a way. And everybody does that. You, you think of something and it's very abstract and then you make it happen. Yeah, you put your intention behind it and make it happen. And yeah. So yeah. it's not quite the same as a table, but um, I think. Well, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's creative problem solving. Yeah. Which we all do. Absolutely. Like, How do we get the whole family in the <clears throat> minivan and go to the beach and yeah. go to the <clears throat> Water Country USA and blah, blah, blah. It's and then like, it becomes a real thing. I mean, and it. It, it it originated in the synapses of your your brain, yeah, and then your yeah. sketchbook or however you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. decided to. Yeah, oh, cool. So you're you take this woodworking class in Vermont. Yeah, and yeah. Boom! The the lights go off, and so I loved it. Uh, so I finished that. I, I graduated uh, soon after that, and moved back to the south where I'd grown up, mm -hmm. and ended up um, in actually here in near Asheville. And uh, soon after that, I heard about the woodworking program at Haywood, cool. and it was it was brand new. Yeah. It was it was absolutely the, in the first year, and I still had to wait a full year to to get into it. There was oh, a okay. lot of interest even at that point. That's great. And in the meantime, I collected um, a little Sears lathe, and you know started turning and doing stuff, you know, on my own. Um, getting your feet wet before you started school. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, um, uh, when I went to talk to Wayne, I had, a had made a shaker writing desk, a little a box basically with hand cut dovetails. And I remember being so proud of it. And he, he was very nice about it, but it was, <laughs> it was quite crude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to interject. That's Wayne Rabb. Wayne Rabb. Rabb, yeah. who was actually, Wayne didn't start the program, but he picked it up from the person that started it. Cause I believe Wayne at Wayne was episode three of Why yeah, Make. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very good so, interview. Yeah. yeah. So Wayne Rab was the lead instructor for mm -hmm. a long, long time at, in the program at uh, Haywood Community College. Right. So yeah. So for the two years I was there, Wayne was the the instructor, and he was terrific. Um, he, uh, you know, I learned enough there to believe I could do this. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've been unlearning some of that stuff ever since. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and, and and adding to it. I'm, yeah. You know. Um, so, th but that that really got me started. I can't say enough good about that program. It's it's you know was really really powerful. Now, um, what years did you go to that program? You know, uh, ever since then I can't remember. <laughs> um, I think I finished in 1980. Okay. I think I was there 78 to 80, okay. but I could be off a year. Um, and I, I, uh, I know that by 80, close enough by close 81, <laughs> I was doing this full time and I joined Southern Highlands guild in yeah. 81. So you, wow. You've so, been a member almost 40 years with them. Yeah. Well, a few well, more almost years. the beginning of the guild, Southern Highlands. Guild oh too. no. It no, was, they've been, it started in they the thirties. Thirties. Yeah, oh, the thirties. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea around. it was that old. Yeah. They've been around a long time. They yeah. have. But now when I came around, I, I knew some of the real early people like Rudy Asolnik from yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. From, oh, wow. From Berea. From Berea. Yeah. 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 I knew, I knew him fairly well. So um, you, you developed these relationships with them while you were in school or after school, after school. Yeah. Okay. Cause, uh, yeah, after school, uh, then I began doing woodwork full time mm -hmm. and, um, one of the first things I did was to jury into Southern Highlands That's and, great. and start, I think I did the first, my first craft show in 81. Wow. So what pieces did you, did you jury in with? I know you're, you have a three-legged stool that you're. Yeah, I've, I've made three-legged stools. Pretty iconic. Ever since uh, when I was in the program with, with uh, uh, Wayne at Haywood. Um, I, I think at that time I did, I did a set of four stools that, uh, nested together kind of, and oh, cool. something I don't do now. Uh, there are a lot of things I did then that I don't do now. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
Yeah, um, and maybe a couple of tables, um, but yeah. so so you got in the Southern Highland Craft Guild. So you were starting to do that show, and now other shows too. Other like, shows too. Uh, New Morning Gallery, the John Cram's show. Oh, uh, the running outdoors get your booth show. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Oh, that uh, existed way back when too. It yeah. did. It oh, wow. did. I think this year, I, didn't I hear it's the fiftieth, fortieth, fortieth or fiftieth. Well, 40th would make sense. 40, maybe, maybe started in 79. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I trying to figure out how to make a living doing this. Um, I naturally started with shows and some were outdoor, um, which which is pretty dreadful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us about a dreadful time. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Drag some memories out. Oh, gosh. I. Uh, I, I go to the ending, which is about 15 years ago. I went. I was at the Dogwood Festival in Atlanta at an outdoor show, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I went and set up, and I had really nice work, and they had a huge crowd there, and my sales were absolutely dismal. And I, I remember the light bulb came on over my head, and I thought, I'll never do outdoor shows again. I need to stop doing outdoor shows for a couple of reasons. One is they're really hard. They're... You, there's a lot of risk of damage to, fir- you know, find so to wood, wood of any yeah, sort. For sure. Uh, and maybe the, the most important is uh, outdoor shows are lower prestige than indoor shows. It, it's just, it just is. Yeah. And uh, truthfully, we're in a, time, a kind of interesting period right now where uh, the idea of craft shows in general is, seems to be sort of struggling. And um, I think we're in some kind of transition, you know, maybe in 20 years we'll look back and and it'll make more sense. But all the shows I know about are struggling. And that's from Smithsonian and Philadelphia all the way down to, you know, the Meatloaf Festival. Well, I mean, I think we're we're heading into a sort of a more virtual world where people aren't as hands-on as they used to be. I think so. And uh, I've heard and I'd like to believe that the more people live in the digital world, the more they need the world that we create for the 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 hands-on the tactile i'd like to hope so yeah i really (laughs) hope that's true yeah yeah do you Um, think it could be maybe the proliferation of smaller craft shows it it may be like targeted uh, yeah you know clay shows yeah well like a lot of Um, different you know little in-town fairs and stuff as opposed to something bigger like southern Highland craft guild or that could be i don't know um it it remains to be seen i'll I'll be Uh, this year I'll do both Southern Highland shows in Mm -hmm. Asheville and they're close to home. Yeah. And then I'll do the CDC show in Raleigh. Okay. That's Carolina designer craftsman. And it's a real nice venue. It's kind of upscale in downtown Raleigh. Um, and it, I think is sort of struggling also as a, Oh, so they moved the CDC show out of the convention center. It was in the fairgrounds for yeah, the fairground, many yeah. years, and it's been downtown. Oh, it's now in the convention center, and yeah. it was in the fairgrounds. That's right. Yeah. I think that's where I first met you. Oh, really? My mom was doing that show. Oh, okay. And she's like, there's this woodworker you got to meet. And it was <laughs> it was right when I was like, I was still in college at WVU. I was yeah. finishing up, and I was trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life, because yeah. I wasn't going to be a journalist. Yeah. So she's like, you got to meet this guy, David Scott. And <laughs> so... I met you if and saw your booth and the woodworking and stuff. And my mom was doing the show. Right. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Wow, he makes some really neat stuff. And yeah, that was like my first introduction to you. And then later on, as I got into Haywood, I think I got to know you from being in Asheville and everything. But I was right. up in, I was in Carborough and Chapel Hill yeah. at that time. So, well, I think but yeah, were. so the CDC was something that, that you did on a regular basis. Oh yeah. For many years, many years. Yeah. I mean, you were, yeah. I mean, Wayne always held you up. Wayne Rabb held you up as the shining light of here's, here's somebody that's actually made it successfully out of the program. Well, I, that's nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, and continues to make a living on it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's or, an important part of this, this, this whole thing. I mean, yeah. is talking to working artists in terms of, I mean, what does, I mean, there's the vision it takes to create the work and make the work. And I want to get back to that when we get a chance. Yeah. But also the vision it takes to, you know, survive financially for, you know, a lifetime. And to persevere. Yeah, and to persevere. Yeah. um, Because you make, what, $2 million a year or something like that doing this? A little less. Okay. That's what I thought. A little less. (laughs) Right. Um, No, it was funny. uh, We were, so there was, what was it, the Asheville Magazine? 
um, had a little article on David Ellsworth as oh, yeah. we, were, we yeah. were sitting down and having lunch and it said and in the beginning David Ellsworth figured out he needed to make a living so he made 5,000 salt and pepper shakers and sold them for $18 a piece and what did we immediately do we put, added it up on the calculator and went $90,000 whoa that's really damn good <laughs> Although I, I, I think that was over several years. Yeah, that's yes. <laughs> Maybe nine years. Minus, oh, nine years? Oh, okay. I'm guessing. Minus time know. and wood. Yeah. and. But he became a rock star pretty fast. Because even when I heard about him, he was all in fine woodworking. And there were photographs of him with no shirt on, on top of his lathe. I mean, it was just rock star oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, do, doing his thing. And so yeah. people paid a lot of money to go to those workshops. Right. And I so. think... Yeah, they probably still do. I mean, I think they still do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so getting back to you, where did where did your earliest ideas come from? Furniture making. Where the, uh oh, he's giving me he's giving me the raised <laughs> eyebrows. Where yeah. did the three legged stool come from? And some of those early oh. things that you had at the CDC show. Where did those uh, ideas? What were the origin of those ideas? You know, really, my introduction to the world of furniture really came through Haywood, and Wayne was really good about. Um, you know, showing us where, where, where it all came from. And I had known about Scandinavian furniture before that, and, yeah. and I li liked it. I, I liked the natural woods. Uh, I liked the lines of Scandinavian furniture mm -hmm. in general. Um, I know when I was in school, I learned about Warden Eshrick and went to mm -hmm. Eshrick's home and museum in Pennsylvania. I'm trying to think. It's Eastern PA. Yeah, it's, it's like, over there. Did you do that the same time you went to Nakashima studio? I think it was in the same yeah. trip. And oh, he was famous I'd, for three-leg stools. He did, yeah. he did them lots of three-leg stools. Oh, and they were funny shaped cool, seats and everything. Yeah, off, real beautiful. You know, not, and, and about that time, I was really into, or started getting really into wood, into turning. Mm -hmm. And so, you, you know, naturally turning round seats and round legs and round rungs, you know, chair, chair parts or mm -hmm. stool parts, it was uh, just a natural fit. So I, I started making three-leg stools in, in school and then for years after. And I, I numbered them, and I had a little book. And I, I, oh, cool. I, I, it was way in the thousands. <gasps> wow. Uh, and that's I, cool. I finally... Oh, can we do the math? How much a piece? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing. When I first sold them, they were probably $100 $15, each. $15,000? What? Yeah. What did you charge for them? <laughs> Uh, yeah, money's a strange thing. I mean, I've, you know, over the years, if you do shows, um, you, you get all kinds of questions. And I, I remember being asked by somebody, so is it, can you make a good living doing this? And I, I said, yeah, you can make a good living, but you won't make a lot of money. So <laughs> that was my take. Um, it's right, a good well, way to make a living. Uh, it's, if making money is real important, yeah. then it's probably not the best right. way to go. If being happy about what you're doing is and you enjoy it, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I think mean, so. We had that chat with 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 Joel, and it's like we don't make a lot of money, but we're happy doing what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's this you whole know? thing of you know being able to walk out your back door into your office every day and make what, as you said, make what's in your head. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty amazing act in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You don't mm -hmm. get to do that on Wall Street. Right, right, and I, I'm I'm uh, I don't know I I I like being my own boss. I like being the decision maker. Uh, I know how to motivate myself when I don't want to work yeah. <laughs> better than any other boss could do. Um, but that cool. said, I yeah. would say one of the big motivators for me has always been that this is how I pay my bills. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm real practical and, um, uh, things, things have to pay me money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's something maybe that I didn't get at Haywood. And that is that as exciting as it is to be creative and come up with, a table that's never been done or, yeah. you know, a chair idea that nobody thought of and your other classmates go, wow, that's so cool. That's great. But it's equally great to make money where there wasn't any before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, like that. yeah, but it's interesting. You and, know, you, and, and to, to realize that you have the power to do yeah. that, that you yeah. don't have to go to a company or a, a corporation or something and let them show you, put plug you into a place where you can do you that can for them. Money. Yeah, you uh, can actually do it yourself. Yeah, right. you can actually do it yourself. Yeah. And, and, well, and I love that. Interesting too, you know, you're one of a kind unique furniture. Your stuff is unique. Yeah, it's a table. Yeah, it's but it's it's your spin on 
you know, your unique spin on yeah. on a table, on a stool, on, you yeah, know, on what you're making. Hopefully, I mean, the work I do now, uh, it's pretty cohesive. Uh, my, If you look at the uh, console tables I make, they have a similarity to the benches that I make, which mm-hmm. have a similarity, you know, some of the same shapes as in the rocking chairs. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've got kind of a vocabulary of, of shapes, forms and shapes that uh, is in all of my pieces. Yeah. And so people tend to say, hey, I recognize your work. And, and they, that makes people feel good. Yeah. Know? Like I remember when you started doing, um, I think, the, uh, like the coat hangers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'd never seen those before. And I was like, those look like coat hangers by David Scott. And I realized I was standing in your booth at Southern Home Craft. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> Those are they are it's by David. That's <laughs> good. Like, I'm so smart. <laughs> well, it I mean, was. I mean, because you know. they looked like you know parts of your stools that right. were coming out to for yeah. the coat hangers, and so yeah, that vocabulary is really yeah, it's there. It's I mean, it's it definitely leaves an impression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and oh, oh, go on. And no, I was just gonna you know just going back to that vocabulary. So you think a lot of that vocabulary came from Haywood and from Wayne, sort of showing you, or it's it's it sort of developed over the years and sort of maybe, you know, iterations of things. It's been a slow progression over time or yeah, yeah, um, all of that. Um, (laughs) I mean, definitely Haywood gave me a real good introduction to people like Wharton Ashrick and George Nakashima. Um, and, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of the furniture, Gary Knox Bennett, you, you like, I think I do. Um, Yeah. I really admire his work. Um, yeah, so all that is, per, you know, in the stew, in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's stuff that Wayne showed you mm-hmm. and introduced you to those the, that work. Um, you were talking about, you know, Wharton Ashrick, you saw his studio. Mm-hmm. So then that, Wayne kind of just cued you into that stuff, and then you started adventuring. I think so, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I pretty quickly decided th- there were things I didn't don't like or didn't care for that other people liked. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I admire Krenov and his school and all that, but uh, uh, I'm definitely not Krenovian. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I have a real respect for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not but it's something a real that's different in approach. Yeah. It's just not. It's just not my thing. Right, and we're talking about James Krenov and the College of the Redwoods. Yes. Um, yes. Which was uh, actually an episode soon to come out. Oh yeah, uh, Russell, Gale. Russell Russell yeah. Gale, who's so. the director of yeah. Grovewood Gallery, yeah. Nashville, North Carolina, was okay. uh, actually studied not under Krenov because Krenov, I think, I think he was still alive, but n- yeah. no longer no actively teaching. But uh, actually, two of the my, good friends of mine from the Haywood program, uh, left after Haywood mm-hmm. went to the College of Redwoods and studied there with Krenov, and they oh, had wow. always been like, what's the word, acolytes. Um, admirers Cronovians. he's the Cronovian. word Cronovian. Yeah. Yeah. yes yeah they they were huge admirers and isn't that awesome that they actually went and you know went I and mean, studied w- with him and more power one to of them that's, is that's cool. still a woodworker to this day in Cleveland Ohio cool. and interestingly I haven't met I haven't seen him in person again since we left school 40 whatever years ago oh, wow. anyway uh, that's Zhivko Radenkov R-A-D-E-N-K-O-V. Wow, what a name. His first name is Z-V-I-K-O, although everybody called him Joe. Joe. And uh, I think his family was Serbian, and there's a big Serbian community, I think, in Cleveland. And that's where he grew up. And um, he was a terrific woodworker at Haywood, and he's, uh, as far as I know, he's still producing now. I'm sort of connect with him uh, through social media. Cool. I hope to visit there someday or have him visit here. Cool. Yeah. We'll make sure he hears this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll send him a note. For sure. Cool. But uh, where was that? Come, uh, um, so, yeah, I, after school, in school and after, I already started kind of zeroing in on what, what I really like to do. A lot of it had to do with turning. Yeah. Uh, using a lathe. and. Then when I left school, the first tool I bought, or the first two tools, were lathe and bandsaw. And with a lathe and a bandsaw, you can do a whole lot. Yeah. And and uh, that I started in a one-car garage, and pretty quickly moved to a larger place, and then into the studio of a student who had finished in the the year before me mm-hmm. and had a full setup. And uh, oh, cool. And that was Peter Gollop, and he was in Canton, um, and so I worked in his wood shop for maybe a year or so mm-hmm. uh 
And then at some point in there, I was, we, we bought, actually bought a house and built a, a wood shop, a thousand square foot wood shop. And that was in Clyde? That was in Clyde. Uh huh. And then I was there for the next 20 years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then I've moved back east ever since from Clyde <laughs> back to Asheville with a pretty dreadful studio down on the river. Right. I remember that one. The, right under the bridge. Right under the oh. bridge. Yeah. The yeah. With the black bridge. mold on, oh the, on the walls where the river had risen. Uh, Ooh. It was a pretty scary place. Did some of these machines survive that? Uh, none of these machines were in there at oh, that okay. time. Okay. Um, and then we, you helped me move from there to this studio that I built in uh let's see nine i think nine summers ago so in 2010 yeah i believe so this is a thousand square feet yeah this is and great it's the best uh workspace i've ever had you know you know lighting and setup and comfort is is the best yeah this is awesome yeah if everybody in podcast land could see this um well, we'll, look, we'll for have the, some, look for the pictures yeah. yeah we'll have some pictures on the website yeah very this is uh the epitome of, uh, of what a wood shop should be. It's, it's, kinda... very, it's very full, and uh, it's the one place in the whole world that every single item, I put it there. Every, every piece, every board, every tool. So I can't blame anybody if something's out of place or I can't find something. It's your fault. It's, my, it's <laughs> me. It's on me. Um, and, but that's pretty cool to have a, a space that's like that. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's kind of interesting because Rob and I were talking the other day about one of the very first things that drew us to wood shops, and it was the smell. Oh yeah, the yeah. smell of yeah. There's the smell of wood. Yeah. and the smell of linseed oil. Yeah, both of which are uh, communing here. Yeah, it's like. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, I remember actually as a kid going with my dad to the cabinet shop at the col at Winthrop, the college where he were, where he taught, and they had a, a cabinet shop to build you know, things for the, the school. Right. And I, rem I remember it smelled great. And of course it was pine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, but it was wood. It was know? wood. And, and it was, uh, yeah, that made a real impression. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. We were talking, cherry, cherry was your favorite or is. Well, one yeah. Of you, one of the ones that you like and recognize with. White oak is actually pretty good too. White like, oak is great. I like white yeah. oak. That's a beautiful smell. Yeah. There's some real stinky ones too. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what, but. Uh, Walnut, I don't particularly like the smell oh, of. Canary wood. That was weird. Canary yeah. wood smells like crayons. Yeah. At least to me it does. It's yeah. really weird. Yeah. Um, I think that sounds right. Yeah. And there's one of them smells like, uh, uh, Cocobolo smells like cinnamon. Oh, that's kind of nice. Which is really nice. It's got a nice spice. Yes. Not that I work with it very much, but. Yeah. Uh, you work with a lot of exotics in your. Yeah. I, a fair amount, at least. I work with a mix of uh, local woods, mm -hmm. domestics, and, and world timbers. And. Mm -hmm. um, I look, I look for really special stuff. I, I love wood. I love the material. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that the customers I have are the same. That's, that's a connection we have. So they want to hear, like, where did this wood come from? What's special about it? Yeah. You know, what can you tell me about it? And um, so I, I love to work with figured woods, um, curly bird's eye, uh, tiger, striped, whatever, you know, no matter the species. Mm -hmm. um, so I do look for those woods in particular, and especially with tabletops, that's that's oh, a, yeah. a real feature. Yeah, you know, the the walnut there is is pretty nice. That's um, a fun one piece. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. piece top. Yeah, yeah. and we're looking at something y'all can't see, so yeah. it's, it's a so beautiful pretty. walnut table that we'll <laughs> hopefully take a picture of to be on the yeah. website. Yeah, yeah, and that one's uh, walnut with ambrosia maple, so that's all local. Um, so you have a you actually have a relationship with some local sawmills? Actually, I buy from wood dealers. Uh, mostly. And so that means the wood's sawn and kiln dried. Right. Uh, yeah. and so it's ready for you to ready, bring ready to work. Here. And, and I, I do buy from Jeanette Lumber a lot, and that's in Asheville. And, uh, and I have bought Sight Unseen. I used to buy Bird's Eye Maple from a place in uh, Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And um, I just, I've gotten to where I'm very, I'm so particular mm -hmm. that I just like to, I don't like to order Sight Unseen. Yeah, you like to flip through. I, I like to, yeah. Because I tend to buy pricey w materials, and so it really matters if it's seven inches or eight inches, or yeah. if it's do with it. <laughs> when you were at Nakashima's, did you go into his warehouse and see 
this his selection of timbers? I didn't, and I wish we had or had been able to. We were just in the, I think, a finished showroom, you know, a showroom of furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, I don't think we even knew what to look for, I guess, or what, yeah. I don't know. It was just an experience. Because that was in <laughs> the early 80s when you were late Yeah, that would have been just... uh, 79 or 80. Okay. 80. Right. Uh, so you were just like, whoa, this is amazing. And yeah. yeah. So you hadn't read Soul of a Tree. Probably not at that time. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm sure I hadn't. Right. And and Soul of a Tree is, I guess, I don't know whether Nakashima wrote anything else, but that was sort of his ultimate statement on a reverence for wood. Yeah. And it's a gorgeous book. I've got it. And yeah, uh, it's, beautiful. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautifully photographed book. Yeah. Um, a lot of wonderful sketches in it and stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat. yeah. yeah so when I was there, I want to say... Oh, um, early two thousands, I was there. I was there with a friend of mine who was who was working on a project there, and we went into the warehouse. Uh-huh. And you know, the warehouse is. I'm gonna throw out a number: ten thousand square feet. It's huge. Yeah, and yeah. it's just lined wall to wall with huge slabs of wood. Oh man, like all of them upright. All of them upright. Yeah, wow. I remember and, seeing him photographed in there. Uh, you know, just oh, dwarfed yeah. by the the slabs so i mean i don't know i guess i'm I'm assuming he probably one had a relationship with um with a sawyer and all this all this stuff was sawn specifically for him yeah and then was stickered and air dried because i guess he did those huge peace table projects right where you know those those kinds of slabs you know obviously they spent years drying yeah yeah, you couldn't you couldn't put them in a kiln there wasn't a kiln large enough to put them in yeah um, but it was a pretty amazing experience to see an amazing collection of wood. Mm-hmm. Oh I yeah. Mean, yeah. I, I still, I mean, I love going to the wood, the wood store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> completely store. intrigued with it. Uh, it, it's a, a fascinating material. Um, and yeah, I, I use, so I use wood from all over. I do, uh, Cormark has, uh, given me access to a lot of African hardwoods. Yeah, Robin Fabs are yeah, 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 one of a kind. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So, so you were talking about you lived in Clyde for a long time. Mm-hmm. So when you were living there, you were you were just doing shows. I mean, was that doing shows, uh, selling some wholesale, mm-hmm. um, and uh, a little bit of teaching. Although okay. I didn't, I didn't start that until probably until I'd been doing woodwork for 10 years or so. Okay. And then I uh, taught somewhat regularly at uh, uh, John C. Campbell Folk School. Oh, great. And oh, wow. Aramont, uh, never at Penland. Um, and then I, that was almost like a phase I went through, and I did that for you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, and a lot of that was when my kids were young and mm-hmm. could go with me to Campbell Folk School, for yeah. instance, and, and that was really nice. Um, but then they, they've grown up, and, and they're adults now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, I really don't teach. Um, mm-hmm. I've just found that I'm, I'm busy without teaching. And uh, I, as, as I did it, it wasn't a big moneymaker. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it again, but, uh, right. yeah, I don't currently teach. And I've certainly have had lots of people ask. Oh really? And, like, and people, do you, you know, do private do you, classes or yeah, something? do you do private classes or whatever? And that's, I've thought about that. Um, I do like I like people. I enjoy communicating and you know sharing a, an enthusiasm for for what I do, um, and that's kind of basic to teaching, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That and a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember at Campbell teaching uh, one year. I taught a class with uh teenagers mm-hmm. they were the older teenagers but i think they were 15 14 15 yeah and um and the project was a, th- a, a small three-leg stool like a 15 inch high stool so yeah. there were three legs and one seat mm-hmm. and it was uh harrowing uh, <laughs> watching kids trying to you know keep them from putting their fingers in the between the tool rest and the spinning part on the lathe oh gosh and uh it was Really, it was very demanding. Not realizing how dangerous it all is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh well. They, I think they all survived. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they got stools out of it at least. Oh yeah, I think they did. Yeah. So what? Um, so what exactly? You, 
I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get to my question here is, so what's your evolution today? Are you still continuing with the same designs that you did? Or, or I mean, have you ever done speculative work? Or has it all been sort of very focused? I, good, good question. Um, I think early on I did do speculative work. Anything that would come in the door that seemed like I could get make money. Mm-hmm. And for instance, I remember doing somebody wanted fifty walnut walnut crosses made for some conference center or something, one for each state. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I would do anything um, almost. Um, <laughs> but I think pretty quickly I realized that. And I, well, to back up, I think that's something that we were taught in school uh, that a good woodworker should be able to do anything that comes in the door and make money on it. And you should be able to design something from scratch the first time and make money on it. Yeah. And I think that's a huge fallacy. I don't think that's I was true. Say, at all. As soon as that came I, I thought, out of your mouth, David, I was like, I, think, I never heard that out of Wayne. But I, well, I mean, and maybe, maybe, um, maybe that's not quite fair to to Wayne to say yeah. that, but it yeah. seemed like that was the ideal. It was the wishful thinking. That, you know, yeah, well, Wendell Castle to do. could do it, you know. Well, and, I mean, Wendell you know. could, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, to me, that almost seems like an impossibility. Because well, it is. It, maybe it, the, it is. Maybe on the fifth one you make money yes. or something. Yeah, <laughs> and, and um, I think I did realize pretty quickly that um, I didn't, I'm not so talented that I could do, one, you know, the first time I've ever built piece x y or z and make it you know not only profitable but fantastic and you know well designed and all that um it it takes me several uh iterations of that piece (laughs) to to get to that and i like that i like that sort of evolution that slow evolution of of uh design and um with my console tables um i made them early on with uh, straight tapered legs and they were nice. They were okay. And I made a few of those and sold them. And um, for some reason, at one point, I just thought, what, what would it be like if I took that taper and curved it? So it still tapers from wider at the top to narrow at mm-hmm. the foot. Uh, but it, it has a curve. And the, the first time I did that, I just it was just like two light bulbs. Yeah. It's like this, there's so much more energy in that, uh, in that design than in the straight taper. And <clears throat> later, I don't know, I added, when I talk to customers, I'll, I will often say that the furniture in- industry likes straight lines. And that's the most efficient and it's it's the most cost effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like curves and nature likes curves. <laughs> and um, So it may not be the most cost effective, but for me, it's the only way to go is, or, or it's the best way to, to do, do curves and, um, yeah, figure out how to make that work. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, to me, furniture has to have, it has to feel like it's moving. It has to feel like it's yeah. vital. Yeah. And straight lines, I think in certain environments work, but straight lines don't work in all environments. Yeah, yeah. And that's true. I shouldn't be so such a blanket uh, statement about it because, uh, I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright did amazing things with straight lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, mm. and there's a lot of beauty and power in, in those those designs i like yeah. straight lines and curves yeah yeah, yeah and you don't have to just have one yeah. nobody said you, you were although i mean that. getting back to your previous thought that you know trying to design and and design and make something and figure out how to make money it seems to me that the the first pass is always although it may look good is is the is like Okay, so I just built this table it took me 30 hours more than it should have <laughs> right. this obviously the design was the design worked, but the uh, the process didn't. I mean, because I can't spend a yeah. X amount of hours building this piece. I have to figure out, I have to change the design somehow to streamline the construction process. Mm-hmm. And that usually mm-hmm. takes three or four iterations before you get to that. And yeah. Building the jig and patterns yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was, I was just thinking that uh, I was telling, I built a table last year that I first built at Haywood that Wayne helped me design. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a writing desk. And it finally hit me last year. I've been, you know, I probably built seven or eight of these over the years. Every time I get commissioned, I was like, you know, it was, uh, you know, I was into the whole Jerry Osgood, famous woodworker, you can look him up, uh, did this uh, tapered bent lamination thing. And Wayne, was, Wayne wanted me to learn this process. And it was like, okay, great. 
but this is not a cost-effective way to make anything. Right, right. <laughs> you and this can lose a lot. This construction technique is not a, and this in various other ways is like I streamlined the whole process and made the table in half the time I always made it in. I, you know, I just took some shortcuts because that mm-hmm. was what was necessary to actually make some money on the piece. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's always it's a balancing act. It really is. And some some pieces you're going to make more money on and those pay for the ones that you don't make as much money on. Yeah. yeah. So they don't, they're not all the same. So in your, in your evolution as a furniture maker and I guess evolution is kind of a broad word, but do you keep a sketchbook? Do you, how do do you keep Hmm. ideas? Do you, you know, how, how is your, your idea development? Um, or even if you, it was idea development a long time ago and now it's just like you're, kind of just making little riffs off of the same kind of design or um first of all i'm i've never been a very good at sketching mm-hmm. i i just I, I can do it and but then i tell myself i'm not good at it and so i don't do it uh, <laughs> and um and i even made a stab at uh, learning what's the computer program oh google sketchup yeah, yeah. sketchup yeah e- evil yeah i evil. really worked on that but uh alas <laughs> that wasn't the answer for me yeah. um I'm faster if it's complicated. I'll make a model, mm-hmm. and I'd rather, you know, build a little yeah. model of something. And it's it's awesome to make a model and then photograph it with your phone and send it immediately. And that's cool. That's that I, that I will do. So you've got little versions of your tables and stools around? Some, a, a couple. Yeah, I've got, oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and honestly, at this point, ninety percent of what I do is a variation on what I've done before. Yeah. So it's it's just a little you know a taller table or right. whatever, and um, I I mean I do I make a lot of tables mm-hmm. in a year. Um, they're they're you know very all kind of similar, um, but to me there's enough variety in in the materials that I'm pretty content with with that kind of production. Yeah, it's still a very limited production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, as far as like your quantity. Yeah. 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 And, and and here we're look, we're also looking at a, a wonderful wall of patterns too. I can see there's a <laughs> there's a there's a pattern for for every leg and and, and to me you know patterns for me help me think visually because oh then, yeah then yeah. you know once I sometimes I'll make a pattern for a piece and I'll never end up using it. It'll just help me think about proportion and size right and and save. But I, I always love walking into a into a shop and seeing patterns yeah because that's a that's a visual thinker at work to me yeah definitely. Definitely. And I, I really admire people who are good at sketching. And it's, I really, you know, I should do more of it. I should not give up on th- that skill. But uh, it's just not been It takes work. good for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I, I think the interesting thing is a lot of us that come at this, this art, and I, I'm not afraid of the word art, because mm-hmm. I think it is art. I mean, it is, it's, it's a creative process, um, that come at this from a, a classic woodworking background are scared of those, of sketching and stuff like that. I mean, I hate to sketch, but yeah. I just, I just make myself do it because I don't know any other way to keep track of my ideas. Yeah. Well, you're getting, that's the first stop that the idea makes on its way from your head to a finished piece. It's, yeah. you know, if it goes from the pencil to the paper and then. It might go from there to making a little mock-up or, or an actual part. Yeah, and often often yeah. my sketches are just really bizarre little scribbles that <laughs> only make sense to yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, well, somebody, that's the important thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can only read them. I can only understand them. My yeah. wife sees them. She's like, "What is? I don't this? understand. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, you have to see it in three dimensions. <laughs> yeah. What do you yeah. mean you don't understand it? Can't you see how the leg goes and intersects with that? And like, no, yeah. no, no. So um, back to... Uh, making a living and we kind of stopped off where I was doing lots of craft shows and and a little bit of wholesale Um, the the biggest thing that's happened to me probably in that whole career was uh, becoming part of aerial gallery um, 17 years ago 2002 actually I should say 2004 so okay uh, 15 years ago okay sorry Uh, aerial started in 2002 and aerial two years old it's a cooperative and uh, when when I first uh, became down, a down in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, we're yeah. in downtown Asheville. 
So we started in 2002 with about 20 members and uh, 20 artists uh, who are local, and mm-hmm. we com- we're completely staffed and run and funded by the artists who are, are yeah. exhibiting there. Um, and then over the years, we've we've moved once to a slightly smaller space, mm-hmm. and w- we have um, 11 different artists and because some are couples we that's about 15 people mm-hmm. so there are about 15 of us that have that run this place and um it uh it was to me it was not clear that that was a good move for me at the time i really agonized over the decision to join mm-hmm. uh because it was going to it, it has cost me in terms of time and and also money because we all share rent money mm-hmm. um but it's turned out to be absolutely hands down the best uh Thing, best business move I've ever made wow. because I sell there year round um, and uh, I sell pieces off the floor and take orders and to the extent that that's probably 90% of my income is, is through, wow. through aerial. That's um, wonderful. And it's, you know, we've had the good luck of being kind of on the crest of a wave that is downtown Asheville. You guys made it through the recession and came back out of that. Yeah. We didn't even, we didn't even know there was a recession at first. I mean, it took about, (laughs) it took an extra year or so to hit Asheville and it it did, but, um, not, not nearly as bad as other places. Um, and so we get, you know, we have customers from, from everywhere, uh, from Europe, all over the U S and from Europe and, um, uh, China, interestingly. Wow, that's the the juggernaut yeah. that's Asheville. It's kind of so funny. I mean, Rob, you only moved away from here three years ago. I moved away from Asheville in, in 1990, 91. Yeah, it was an entirely different place. Back Absolutely. Then. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, Asheville was a what? Let's say much grittier. It was. Yeah. It was not. It was not the hippest town in America, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Now it's the second hippest town in America. I think. Right, with like no. <laughs> second only to um, Boulder, probably. Uh, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But, let let uh, them have it. <laughs> yeah. No. But anyway, that uh, that has been a, a terrific move, not just for me, really, but for. Um, there's a lot of other for, great artists for, in there for as everybody. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what has what happens over the years with a, a cooperative is that. Um, there are people who naturally, you know, get along and, and work with in a team approach and people who don't yeah. and people who don't tend to leave. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. migrate off. People and also people yeah. who sell well tend to stay. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of natural selection process yeah. that has left this core group that hasn't really changed in years wow. uh, at this point. And we all know each other's work really well. We can all talk about each other's sell work. Sell each other's work. And yeah. sell it. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And, and I really enjoy, I do enjoy selling, mm-hmm. um, even if it's not my work. Yeah. <laughs> I really. But it, I, like I, you said, yeah. it's work you're familiar with. Well, I'm work. enthusiastic about it. And I'm enthusiastic about pots mm-hmm. and, and um, about glass yeah. and, and jewelry, mm-hmm. uh, as well as my furniture. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a lot of it's it's a blast for me to uh, yeah. get out of the wood shop and you know put on a clean shirt and go be in downtown Asheville. So yeah. you work what two, three, four days a month, something like uh, that. Three or four. Yeah. Okay. Three to yeah, four. I, mean, I th- yeah. actually yeah. think we've all been in co-op galleries because you're I'm in a, currently in you're one. in a co-op yeah. in Charleston. Yeah. Okay. I was in a co-op in Durham and I was the classic case. I got weeded out because I sold poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Yeah, guys, uh, I'm just not making it here. Yeah, yeah. But I loved going in the gallery and working and selling other pieces. And yeah, I think Ariel's one of the most consistent co-op galleries I've been in. Yeah. As far as like, yeah, members have been there for a long time, and people can come back year after year. Right. And uh, and see different work. Obviously, see your work evolving. It's always changing, and a big part of that is that things sell pretty steadily. Yeah. For for really everybody. Well, maybe we need to join. <laughs> you gotta or, gotta live close enough we, to work there. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things too, you, you said, you know, ever changing. It seems like every time I see your tables, it's like a different wood or a different yeah. combination, or yeah. you know, just a little different take on, you know, your angle or you know, or or plugs or however you end up doing it. It's yeah. always like kind of is it. Does it depend on how you feel or what you run into at, at the wood store? It depends or? on the material a lot. Okay. I think that's a big big factor. Because um, I'm doing fairly similar things, similar mm-hmm. joinery, um, yeah. you know, fairly similar from, from piece to piece. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
but I really don't get bored. And um, I, um, I, you know, I hate to stress it too much, but I, I really do like selling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, just the pieces that I make are a combination of function and, and aesthetics. So they're beautiful and people are drawn to them because they're beautiful, but they work. Yeah. You know, they, and everybody needs tables. And if you have a home, every room needs tables. So there's this kind of built-in need or does you know you may not need a two thousand dollar table you, <laughs> you might need a two hundred dollar table yeah. and i i respect that, that yeah. that's perfectly fine but and walmart's um, down the road around the corner and no just, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and i'm not competing with them no no i know <laughs> yeah um well well that's that's cool i mean it's you're super passionate about m- making tables i mean that's that's my um people ask me what i make i'm like Tables. I make a lot of tables. Yeah. I made, you know, 40 tables last year. I make tables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Different shapes and sizes, tables. So I make mostly sculpture these days, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do make a table every now and again. You do make tables. I am. No, I have been I've known seen to you make, make tables. Ta- yeah. I have made a table. Yeah. Not only that, I, I made a table that I originally made at Haywood Community College. So yeah, you did. Actually, there's there's 29 years later, they made the, still making the same table. See, that's really special to revisit an idea from your younger days <laughs> you know to yeah. and that's something that we can do and it's it's actually a really cool concept you're you're revisiting yeah. an idea and you're bringing to it some uh, you know real uh mm. more polished uh skill set maybe different tools even yeah. maturity uh, ma- <laughs> a maturity yeah. yeah yeah um and that's that's real powerful I yeah think. i mean yeah. I, I started making a, a this jewelry armoire that i've I'm about to start. Oh, on, I like that one. I'm about to start on the 14th one. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, I like the it. first one I made in 2009, uh-huh. and it was a challenge for my mom. Yeah. To you know, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a couple lines in a box, and yeah, and it's it's infinitely complicated to make oh, yeah. it. But you know, I'm about to start on the 14th one. That's for awesome. Some folks in Ohio, and it's you know, it's wonderful. I've learned how to make it better. I don't know if necessarily faster, but so, better. So mm-hmm. when you're making that one. Do you ever make a second one that you're going to put in your co-op? I do. Or on, yeah. on spec? I, I, I try and make two at a time when yeah. I do it. Yeah. Um, and I actually do more of Best that. intention. Sometimes it doesn't yeah. happen. But, yeah. Um, well, what we do is a, uh, it's kind of inherently inefficient. It, I mean, Oh, for sure. And so if you can find a little bit of efficiency in you know, cutting out the parts for three tables or two tables at once yeah. instead yeah. of just one, um, that, that's a little bit of a help. Yeah, when I do table runs, I'll try and do a half a dozen like smaller tables. When I do little side tables, yeah, I'll try and do enough to instead of just a pair. You yeah, know, I'll make. Yeah. I'll do six of them or four of them or something like that. And that's to, the, the exuberance of uh, of uh, of optimism, thinking <laughs> I will sell every single one of those tables. It is well. Hey, well, no, that I mean that's, that is, that's that an is, important. If message I make it, they will sell. If no. I make it, they will buy. That's, yeah. And there's there's a yeah, that's confidence. I mean, now this is almost embarrassing but i remember early in the early days i, I sort of bought one tool at a time mm-hmm. I, I never went to a bank and got a loan and yeah, you know did all yeah, that and so i started yeah. with a lathe and a bandsaw and then i i probably added a, a cheap table saw and uh, a joiner anyway early in those early days i remember with every tool i bought i would think how hard will it be to resell this when i when i fail I mean, that's terrible to say that, but it, it, in the back of my mind, I always thought, you know, will I be able to resell this tool? And at some point, I, I outgrew that, and I looked back and went, wow, I used to actually think that way. And, I, I, of course, I don't think that. I mean, I, well, I, you're, are, I, many years ago, I gave up on that kind of negativity, I guess. Although, do we reach a point where we think we're beyond failure? I'm just curious. Hmm. Well... <laughs> Um, the interesting thing is, all right, so I'm going to be 65 this year and, uh, that's kind of a milestone because you make decisions about Medicare and social security and a lot of those things. And you, it really sort of forces you to, uh, look ahead, especially for those of us who have always been living in the present year, kind <laughs> of, um, and <clears throat> my retirement plan is to, as long as my health is good, to keep woodworking as much as I can. Sounds like, um, and I, I enjoy it. I, I like the income, um, et cetera. But uh, I have been kind of fascinated with uh, the ideas of uh, the aging woodworker. 
you know, <clears throat> and what has changed for me um, at, what, what am I like at 65 compared to 25? Because um, I think I was at Haywood at 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are several, I have several good recommendations for the aging woodworker. Oh, let's hear them. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> all right, so I do a lot of uh, pattern tracing uh, with my curved shapes and forms. I used to do that with a ballpoint pen or a pencil, and I use a magic marker now. So you can see them. I can see it better. Uh, nice. And it's a fatter, big fat line. I also use more lighting than, than I used to. Uh, and when I first built this shop, there are two banks of fluorescent lights. I used to only cut on one, and I would work all day with just one. Uh, and after a few years, I realized with two, I could see better. <laughs> so, or I needed two. You know. 20 years later, I can see better. <laughs> and also, um, another little thing is I, use, I wear gloves way more than I used to. Mm-hmm. And I use those nitrile, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, real the fitted skin gloves. Ones. They're cheap, but uh, they save a lot of splinter, a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think early on, I was, I was macho, and I moved heavy boards and wingy and stuff like that, real splintery You're woods. Picking stuff out. Yeah, and you know, the amount of time you spend with in, you know, pulling splinters from your hands or with infected places or cuts or... Um, Gloves avoid some of that, not all of it. But um, yeah, there there are a number of things. Uh, I wear glasses now. I didn't used to. Um, I also use uh, magnifying glasses. Squinting at pencil lines. Yeah, well, (laughs) squinting at magic marker lines. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Those magic marker lines are smaller than they were last week. Seems like another great quote. Squinting at magic marker lines. Yeah, I like that. We're we're trying to uh, create a a whole line of T-shirts for for aging woodworkers. That would be a good title for the aging woodworker article. I want to write for fine woodworking. Right. Squinting Squinting at magic marker lines. lines. Yeah, but it's a good question. I mean, you know, how how we all change. Yeah. And our abilities change. Your stamina changes, um, and. You know, what I think is a good work day now compared to what I thought 30 years ago is, mm-hmm. is kind of different. This It sounds like you're as excited about doing woodworking as you were when you were 25. I think so. I mean, yeah. 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 And um, I'm, I'm not acquiring machinery now. Um, I mean, I do now replace uh, one machine with, with a, a better one. You know, it may be the same thing, but I'm, yeah. not, I'm not really in that acquisitive phase that i used to be in yeah because um, that's an excitement of it too we all know oh that. it is i remember like, you know pouring over tool catalogs for hours i mean yeah. it was like oh, like yeah. porn it was what you, you wa- know, just... wasted like you know weeks looking at catalogs. oh yeah yeah and i you know i learned a lot that way yeah. um and things have wasted cha- things not have wasted. changed a lot too in in that period of time um you know there's there are different uh material glues and and products that are mm-hmm. available and um, definitely the world of the materials has changed a lot and you know it's more of a world market of, but it's crazy the world timbers. the woods the same some yeah. yeah some but uh, some are you know we're, well ash is a good example mm-hmm. I, I've worked with ash for years and yeah. years but I think we're kind of seeing the time when it's not going to be as available yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, ash, Ooh, is, I better, ash is one of my favorite I better boards. get a load of it really quick then. Uh, it's, the quality of ash has gone way down. The, yeah. the emerald ash borer is it, oh, an interesting everywhere. case yeah. of, you know, is it climate change? Is it what? I mean, the emerald ash borer came over here and has absolutely decimated the American ash right. through most of the, it hasn't gotten through the southeast but through most of the midwest it's actually and west. in north carolina now yeah i mean and, yeah. and the only solution really is to cut the trees down and burn them yeah you can't yeah. you can't save a tree once it's and you can't use it I yeah and they won't well, allow you yeah to, yeah you can't transport it across state nope, lines nope um, you have to you have okay. to cut it down and burn it yeah. Wow. yeah i mean i think it'll be a available lo- on a local basis yeah. for a number of years but uh um yeah, it's going the way of the chestnut in a way. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up things. We want to thank David Scott. Yeah. For, uh, yeah. Thanks for, for glad to chat w- with wonderful y'all. conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, Thanks uh, for spending time in your studio. Yeah. At Wymec. Wymec. Excellent.